first thought, what if like Gabard and Lars and Peng, they all started wearing those like referee jerseys that everybody wears a footlocker? <laughs> Would this change? Would your feelings change? Dude, if I walked into a footlocker and Peng, Gabard, and Lars were man on the sales floor, yeah, I'd be walking out with like a pair of uh, Sauconies or something <laughs> from those guys. <laughs> Shoecast! This is it. You found it. It's the Stitch Down Shoecast, where we talk quality footwear, how it's made, and all the things we love about it. I'm Ben from Stitchdown.com, and Ticho Blanco is here, stuck inside a giant miracle on 34th Street bag of letters sent by small children around the world who have endless questions about shoes, which we will answer. Yes, indeed, it's another shoe bag episode. Before we get Ticho out of that bag and open up some questions... I just need to give a tender shout out to our sponsor this week, Division Road. If you want to hit the mother load, just navigate to Division Road. These things are getting worse and worse. I would argue they're getting better and better. <laughs> Get back in your bag. And this is part of the show where I gently browbeat you into joining the Stitchdown Discord, the heart of the Stitchdown Premium community, and the Stitchdown Patina Thunderdome, of which has actually been said in public, quote, this is the greatest place in the world. Uh, you remember when that guy said that. It actually happened. I agreed. Tough to argue with that. Yeah. You can expect endless knowledge and advice, disturbingly friendly people. The works. We're also getting pretty darn good at doing local meetups and bigger multi-day boot trips. We recently had a blast over three days in Chicago at the Horween Factory and endless other wonderful boot and leather related places. And coming up this October is a trip to Division Road's new headquarters in Virginia. And then, the world. And best of all, your very affordable membership goes so far to support this exact shoe cast you apparently like for some bizarre reason. So give it a whirl. Plenty more info on Stitchdown Premium on stitchdown.com. All right, let's do this. Ticho, what's up? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you, Ben. I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Just got uh, a new pair of uh, suede uh, suede loafers, the uh, bourbon suede traveler loafer. And uh, it's going to be my new go-to uh, spring-summer shoe. Once a summer, Ticho just destroys a uh, light suede penny lover. I don't know. I, I think I'm just going to do it every year, get a new pair. Last year, I did the Alden Leisure Hand Zones, which um, we discussed on our an episode with uh, Ron Ryder, where I sent him a bunch of weird pictures of them during the podcast. That was fun. I decided to uh, stick stick with the same uh, same kind of sizing convention as those where i went down a full size for my brannock up a width since fit like a glove super happy with them i wonder what our guy vimes would think of the ticho theory of yearly loafer destruction i think he'd support it <laughs> vimes would fucking hate you man he's like this theory is thin to begin with and now we got this guy coming out here just dragging trash around to these loafers i think the real thing that i should be doing is like resoling these things and getting like a couple years out of them but I really wanted to try these Grandstones, so I'm, you know, kind of just uh, putting the Aldens aside for this year. Maybe I'll, I'll put them head to head. They each get a year on my feet, and then I'll decide which one to resole for next year. Get it done. But yeah, I mean, you're already encountering trash puddles, so I, I see that you're just getting right after it. Oh yeah, dipping them right in too. Dipping them right in. <laughs> get that leather flexing. Uh, good work. Proud of you. Always, but especially right now. Thanks. I'm uh, quite proud of myself. Pretty much all the time. Yeah, I know. You occasionally even deserve it. I'm still wearing these whites, man. These uh, these Merriam Natural Horsebutt Whites Cutters, 350 cutter lace to toes that we did with whites. Unstructured toe. They're working it. They were kind of like 
my side-by-side Thunderdome boots along with my Alden 405 Indie boots, uh, which I've also given a ton aware of, but man, I just like, I love these things. I just, I want them to get to a place where they like need to be conditioned and can kind of like take a shift. And I put, I don't even know if this was the right thing to do. I put a bunch of Saphir Renovator just on the heel counter a couple days ago and it didn't really come out very well. <laughs> it was like that rule that you learn like right when you get into this or, you know, when you like watch a, a care video, it's like put on a discreet part of the boot, mm-hmm. see what happens. It's not terribly discreet, but it's not the end of the world if that thing's like a little weird or different because they kind of already are. Yeah, I don't know. It just like, I, I think it's the wrong thing to put on the, specifically the Merriam TPR mm. horse butt with the coating. You know, my pair, I have a little bit of a head start on you with uh, with those natural horse butt cutters. I've been uh, big four in them. Yeah. Big four has been my move. I was trying to get creative with it. Yeah. I don't know. I wanted Chinese Broccoli to tell me that I was wrong, which is, for some reason I enjoy it. He's like, you're fucking stupid. I'm like, oh, yeah, give it to me. Yeah, and I like um, I like for him to tell me that I'm right, and so that's why I follow what he said and used Big Four. And it's working? Working great. Working great. Actually, I have him right here. They just uh, got him real muddy in uh, like in a creek, and uh, I got to like wash him off, wash him off and hit him with more Big Four. It's good. Usually it could soak up like two, three coats of it too, which is nice. Maybe I just need more coats. I don't know. And does it buff out all shiny? I kind of want them shiny. Yeah. Yeah. You get a nice shine with it, man. It's, it's pretty nice. All right. It's pretty good. Uh, on the flip side, I started wearing my Whites by Merriam by Stitch Down Oxfords on a wedge sole. Wedge life. Not hating it, man. Not hating it. You know, between those and now I've got I've got these Viberg sneakers that I've also been wearing. Wait, really? You get them at the sample sale? Yeah, I got these, uh, you know, Kudu. They're like Goodyear welted sneakers, according to Brett. And they're pretty rad, dude. They're pretty rad because, you know, I hate sneakers, right? Like, I don't like Very aware. really like them. Um, I got some Hoka's because um, my wife wanted to, like, start running. And so I've been running in these hokas, which I, I do like because it is they're just super cushy. It's like running on a marshmallow. But casually, I do not care for it. It kind of tires my feet out. It kind of makes, you know, my feet need to be supported. Fake comfort. But these Viber sneakers kind of provide like a little bit of a middle ground where it's got the leather insole. And so it's supporting my foot. I can feel like I'm breaking them in. It's got like, you know, it's the CF Stead Kudu leather. So it's like a pretty robust nice leather for a pair of sneakers that's like you know supporting my feet and breaking in nicely i kind of dig them to be honest with you i never thought i'd really say that about about a pair of sneakers my viberg slip-ons i have like the gray suede ones and they're like all fucking dirty at this point it's it's the same thing like you feel less bad about it because they were made by you know specifically viberg but like somebody who makes real shoes and so like you're allowed to do it Kind of. I, I put on a pair of old Jordan 3s to like go get the mail the other day. Felt weird. I kind of liked yeah. it more than I wanted yeah. to. We had journeys too, me and those shoes. Like I'm not going out and, and copping them. We should stop talking about this immediately, actually. This is, this is fucking dangerous. What are we doing? People hear this. We're like espousing a sneaker lifestyle all of a sudden. I wouldn't say I'm not living a sneaker lifestyle by any means, but you can't always be breaking in. 15 pairs of shoes like we are it's not it can't be good for your feet it can't be good for our backs like <laughs> can't be good for our knees i disagree i think it's great i've never felt better all right look let's bust open this bag let's do some questions we got some great ones shout out nico.baldwin 
on Instagram, I think he sent 11 questions. Wow. At least nine. And here's one. Simple question. Resolable sneaker. Oh. That's just, that's a question? That's a question. There's a question mark at the end. Just resolable sneaker question mark. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess he wants one. Or two. You always hear that, you know, the sidewall sneakers, like Common Projects and other stuff like that. You always hear that those are resolable, right? That they can just kind of rip off those kind of cupsoles and put a new one on. I have never encountered anyone who's ever done that to prove whether or not it's it's possible. Yeah, nobody's doing them. And a lot of those shoes are like not really the highest quality. By the time you get through that cupsole, are you really wanting to put it on? Like the leather is just not what we're used to at least. So that's part of it. But I actually know a bunch about this. I have these Crown Northampton uh, hand stitch sneakers, which are like a completely different build than those. They are sidewall stitch, but I learned a lot from Chris over at Crown, who has some stuff coming up, but we're definitely going to have on this podcast, who's somebody that not everybody like knows about or is talking about, but he's got this like whole little skunk works going over there in Northampton, and he's got some really cool shit coming. So he'll tell you about that when he comes on. Basically, with the sidewall stitch, it's, you know, a little more complicated, and you can't just like take them to a cobbler. Like you need to get back to somebody with a sidewall stitcher, as I understand, which is like a very specific type of device. But basically what they do, you know, with the shell and they have like a whole bunch of other Horween leathers that they use too, they like rough them. They they rough up the bottom, you know, whatever it is, quarter inch or something of the leather, of the pattern that is kind of below and gets glued to the cup sole and then is sidewall stitch. If you don't do that, which, like, takes time, and if you're kind of in more of a mass production situation, like, as far as I understand, they're not doing it, you can't really take it off and put it back on again. Mm. Even though, like, the promise is there. Construction-wise, yes, you can with the sidewall stitch sneaker, and there are, like, a lot of them out there. Functional materials-wise, it doesn't really work. And I don't know that a lot of those companies, like, I'm going to plead ignorance on this. Like, I don't want to say that they're not doing it, but I don't know that they are doing it in terms of actually doing reconstructions of these sneakers for me it's like what upper are you putting on a sneaker that's worth resoling that that's kind of the key just so few of them i think are worth worth doing but you know well color four shell shell you know you get some color four shell that's a different story man i wear these things i was in charleston visiting family for like eight days, I think, just of how it, like, fell around the weekend. Like, you know, we kind of, like, ate up both weekends on either side of a week. And I brought those and the indie shoes, the the chamois indie shoes that we do with Judd Frost. And that was it. Because I was like, I want to wear these things. I'm not wearing them, like, every other day. That's not going to happen unless I just don't bring other shoes. Dude, I loved them. Those crown shoes are very legit. They have different ranges, but, like, the really high-end ones... It's like Baker, Oak Bark, insole, counter, toe puffs. Like they feel more like a real shoe than some quote unquote real shoes do. And then the Lactate Heavier Sole, which I'm pretty sure is custom for them, is really good. So like those things as a resolable sneaker, it's the only one that I can say, yes, do this, fully recommend. And like as a mostly non-sneaker wearer, presumably, you will be very happy with them. They're comfortable in both ways, somewhat, which is pretty cool. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like you've got some. You've got some Goodyear World sneakers. 
Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess these Viberg sneakers should be resolvable too, right? That's another another very good option. I'm really enjoying uh, in, enjoying my pair. Sorry, I got distracted. I'm looking at the Crown Northampton uh, website. Follow up on your your story from Charleston. How do you feel about South Carolina style mustard based barbecue sauce? I don't think we had we got barbecue from Lewis, which is one of the famous barbecue places for the Super Bowl. It was good, but I I don't think it was mustard based. It was more like kind of. I don't know. I'm just going to say it. Like, love love you, Lewis. It was pretty good. I ate it, you know, for days afterwards. But it was kind of like knockoff Austin-style barbecue. Mm. Yeah, I feel like you got to go up to the up to the hill country to get that real good uh, that real good barbecue, man. We were on the lowlands. Downstate? What do they call it? I got like a word for it. Like, you know how New York has like upstate? They might have something similar. Yeah, New York does have an upstate, yeah. Yeah, I think South Carolina is the same way. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the uh, South Carolina mustard-based barbecue sauce. It's pretty solid. When I lived in North Carolina, I had a neighbor who was from Anderson, South Carolina, which I think is up in the up in the hills there or whatever. Sounds high elevation. And, uh, yeah, he made some barbecue sauce that was unreal, dude. It was great. All right, I'll seek it out next time. I'll seek it out. One last thing on this one. I- I'm pretty sure while it's not necessarily easy to do, a, a lot of sneakers, like, it's just glue, right? Like, I think they can be resold. And, like, in the end, like, I, I think there is a way to do it. I don't know how to do it. You just got to find the right person. Let's stop talking about sneakers immediately. This was, I've disturbed myself. I don't like where this is going. All right, let's get another one from Nico. I like this one. Your break-in process. Do you house shoe it? Go for long walks? Band-aid and pray? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say all the above. Those are all valid moves. My move is to wear it around the house for like a day or two get a feel for it you know what i mean like you want to know what you're in for for that first time out exactly the biggest mistake you could do and like people i caution people against doing this is like you get something new and then you're like oh great i'm going out out on the town and i'm gonna like wear these things and do all this stuff in them like immediately and it's like that might be super painful like maybe don't do that uh, so I like to walk around the house for a while, get a feel for it, you know, try out different socks. Like I'm a big sock meddler, you know what I mean? Like I like to just dial in, oh, here's the socks I'm going to wear with these. And then, you know, you kind of break in, you know, get a little bit of break in on the sole, which like if you're doing like a leather soled shoe, like I got these, um, you know, these grandstone loafers on right now that I've had for maybe a week and I haven't really taken them out for like a full a full day yet because I'm still kind of in this this process with them. You end up kind of wearing away the toe a lot if you just start before the insole's really broken in, if you start just wearing them around a lot, especially if you walk. I walk on a lot of concrete, so that can really wear it away pretty quickly. Uh, but if you get them broken in around the house first, it can kind of lessen the degree that you really just, you know, shear away the front of those leather soles if you, uh, you know, don't have metal tips on them. So I'll do that for a while, and then after that, I like to wear them, like, a lot. So wear them, like, four or five times a week for, like, a couple of weeks until they're kind of broken in to just kind of put a little extra pressure on them, you know what I mean, to, to really speed that, that, that break-in process up. Because if it's, like, you wear it once a week or once every other week, it's, like... It takes forever. It just takes forever. It takes forever because every time in between wears, you know, it's completely drying out. It's completely getting back to that that original state and like you kind of want to put a little pressure on them like even wear them like two three days in a row do stuff like that so that's usually my process and that has yielded pretty good results for me getting stuff broken in within you know 
like a couple of weeks usually, depending on what it is, obviously. Yeah, that's our boy Matt Shibui, who I haven't seen like since this whole goddamn pandemic and like dearly miss. Love you, Matt. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, I wear them for like a month straight and then they're good. And then, like, I can come back to him and it's fine. But, like, I just commit. And he also, like, I've always respected what a tight collection he keeps. He's got, like, six pairs of, like, shoes, boots total. So maybe just, like, urge-wise it's a little easier for him to do that. Yeah, you, you got to know what you're getting into. I love wearing them around the house. Like, I don't even know necessarily if it, like, does much of anything other than give you the sense of what's to come. But I like to feel like it's doing something. Right? You're like, yeah, you know, my heel's just, like, pushing that counter back while I'm sitting here. Maybe? I don't know. There's, like, some kind of pressure on it. But, you know, I'm, like, watching TV. I got some boots on. and You know, that's kind of fun. But we got to take one more from Nico. We're going to answer at least one-third of his questions here. Thank you, Nico. So this is actually a two-part question. Are black boots hard or easy to style? Do people think on it too much or not enough? And then is black a staple or boring? I'm not, like, much of a... I have, like, you know, the first Alden collaboration boot that we did was a black shell boot, uh, which I love and wear frequently to this day and, like, wore to a wedding recently and just felt like the fucking man. But personally, not a black uh, footwear expert. What do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm I'm an expert either, although I do wear and enjoy some, you know, some, some black boots. And I, I do find that they're fairly easy to style you know i'm also a guy who likes black jeans uh, i also work in new york city where you can pretty much just wear all black and no one will, will really question that that's what most people wear yeah i mean no one's like oh on your way to a funeral it's like no i'm on my way to brunch <laughs> the death of brunch that said i think he i, I think he's touched on uh, an important aspect of black boots you do need to have maybe something else going on with them beyond just having like a flat black type of boot. Like, you, you know, if you want to do like a T-core kind of situation where, you know, you're, you're going to wear them pretty hard and try to get those nice rich brown tones coming through there. You know, you want like a shell cordovan, which is going to, you know, be pretty shiny. But like, you know, if you beat them up, they can end up looking really cool. There's some good black shell in the dome, man. Yeah. I, I got to find those and post them on the Instagram soon. There is one pair that are like, you know, we've talked about black and kind of fading to like yellowish gray like in the shop in the sun i think these things are just worn and like maybe sunned a little but man they look good i didn't know it could happen yeah my uh my buddy gill uh is doing a uh black shell viberg service boot for the dome that might be them probably what you're looking at he's been wearing him i think at work he's like an icu nurse so he's just been like just really going hard on these things and i think also giving him some sun so they're they're looking pretty pretty tight there, dude. But that's that's the kind of thing. Like that's what you got to do. You know, you got to take the black, take the black boot that you know maybe starts off looking a little difficult to to style, right? Because it's just so stark. You know, there's just so much contrast between other stuff you're trying to wear. Having something like a black Scotch grain or a black rough out, like that gets fun, man. You know, because you have that different texture going on with it. Because you're less concerned about color, you can kind of like play with the texture a little bit more. You know, that's the thing I enjoy. Like, I've got those, um, you know, vibrant hole cuts in uh, the wax camel rough out. It's got a cool texture. It's waxed. It's a rough out. It's got a lot going on. And so it's not just like this big hole cut of kind of black calfskin that doesn't, it's never really going to age or change. Like, it's something else happening altogether. 
So yeah, I would say if you're you're trying to do some stuff in black, play with the texture or get like a T core or shell cordovan that's gonna age and develop into something that's like pretty interesting. Not that there's not a place for just black calfskin in 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 this world. I'm sure somebody somewhere is like wearing some pretty sick black calfskin boots that completely go against what I'm saying. I feel like if you don't really take care of calf, it can get a little like dusty, mm. you know. In black, which is kind of cool. It's more of like a boot. Yeah, thing. I mean, if you go back looking at, you know, Viberg did that like dust black calf where it had that kind of like vintage. Pre-dusted. Pre, yeah, it came pre-dusted. I mean, that was pretty sick. Like, you know, black is just all about communicating in other ways beyond color. I, I think it's pretty pretty fun. I like black boots. I've got, I got a few. So I feel you. It could be, it could be tough at first to kind of like look at it and be like, oh man, like I'm a dude who wears blue jeans and like flannel shirts and like doesn't live in New York like how am I how am I going to wear these things and it's like well you you kind of just got to take a different angle beyond just like having a stark black boot i guess yeah i'm with you i would totally dig into definitely like some t-core stuff like something that's just going to be not 100% black but as you've been jabbering on i've realized that i have more black pairs than i realized from a guy in the Discord, I picked up some old, I think, who was it, like a flathead Viberg engineer or something like that? Like a short engineer, an 8-inch. They've been worn. I think I'm the third or fourth owner. They look great, number one. There's something kind of happening with them. Like the toe has collapsed. So that alone is like, okay, well, this is suddenly a more interesting boot, especially for this. And, like, it looks really, really good, especially from the side. You know, it's got, like, these rolls kind of on, like, a blank vamp boot like that. I think, like, the rolls can create some visual interest. Like, obviously, some of these, like, crazy ass, looks like the surface of Mars, like, textured, shinky black boots are incredible. And you can combine that with, like, the shine that they have. Those things are pretty cool. Like, I would I would totally rock them. I haven't really chased them at all, but there's something to them. And then, yeah, I also got these uh, RDT coupons from Costa, which are, I think, black CXL. And they're, like, pretty fun. The brake isn't, like, the best on them, and they're, like, a little, a little funky in that way. But, man, I hit them with a brush one night, and I just went at it for, like, 20 minutes. And, like, got them all kind of, like, shiny, but, like, just on the toes, you know? So it's, like little bit of contrast going on there like the right black leather can kind of do it on its own but otherwise it's just like good solid wear and a little bit of care I think can like take them different places and suddenly I'm realizing that I need more different kinds of black leather uh on my feet there's probably something else I'm forgetting I didn't realize you had uh you had Costa's coupons I got Costa's coupons I just wanted to say Costa's coupons love you Costa all right this is like something of a follow-up from our boy Jimmy nerding with boots What's the secret to perfect rolls with horse butt or shell? Is it more about fit or the clicking? Mm. I don't know if it's more of either, but let's discuss. I think it's both. Definitely both are gonna gonna play a big part there. So got these clinch natural horse butt engineers, right? Generally speaking, you know, the advice that you know that we give on them is to go like a half down from your brannock is like, you know, works works for most people. You get a nice snug fit on that. I kind of bucked that a little bit. I went true to size on them, right? Because I was looking to get those like really intense horse butt rolls that you see, you know, you see on the Brass Tokyo Instagram and like, it just like kind of makes your heart beat like a little too hard and like your blood pressure goes up pretty intense. And you're like, well, how, how can you do that? Right? Like, how can you do that? If you have like a really snug fit on the boot, I felt like with my feet, it wasn't going to 
you know, I wasn't going to get the same depth of, of roles. And um, this, I don't know if I did the right thing on this. I think the Clinch and Minoru, I think they size them really tight to get the roles, right? I'm pretty sure that's the case. I think I kind of uh, F this up, dude, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, you know, it's a cheap throwaway pair of Yeah, just whatever. Covered. Well, here, here's the thing. They still they still fit me really well. I've got this pretty thick insole, like Protolus insole. You know, first of all, it makes me like a half inch taller, which is, which is tight. As I'm getting into wearing these things, the rolls are setting in and they look great. The toe is collapsing. I'm like super happy with how they look. But I think the secret to those big, thick rolls is to size it a little bit tighter, as as you're saying, dude. Seems counterintuitive. Yeah. The other thing, no uh, no shoe trees in those. No shoe trees, right? Never. Because I want gravity to be working on those things at all times, making that collapse, getting those rolls in there, set in deep and beautiful. The fit obviously plays a big part in it, but the way it's been thought out by by the maker also matters. And um, you know, don't uh, I, my mistake was was probably you know I, I probably overthought it a little bit too much. I think Clinch is one of the best at like engineering towards those roles. Like that's how the boots are designed. But you do have to size them right. Backtracking a little bit to the original question. Because it includes shell. Shell, shell, right? With horse butt, do you have the shell in the horse butt? How much of it? Is it like right in the middle, that butt? Or, you know, each individual cheek? And if it is, like, you're probably in luck. You're probably just going to be rolling. It's going to be beautiful. And the sizing definitely matters. But it's it's not going to happen like that if you don't have the shell in there, quite simply. You know, with shell itself, there's shell in there. Yeah, it really does come down to fit, right? Like, I mean, we talked about this uh, on some of these Ron Ryder episodes where, you know, Ron can look at your shoe, you know, football field away and tell you whether it's fitting correctly or not. But you actually want that little angle on it, right? Like, sometimes you see those really, really straight rolls right across, and those are cool. But, you know, to hear Ron tell it, you actually want that slight angle on it. And that means it's fitting right, it's flexing right, ball your foot's in the right place. And then whether or not it was kind of designed for rolls, which like, you know, most like Alden's not doing that. I mean, maybe they are, but not as consciously as as a place like Clinch. It just kind of all works out. You see it a lot on like a plain toe shell boot or a horse butt boot to a lesser extent where they can be just so perfect and you have like these two or three rolls and... There's that slight tilt to them, and, you know, once they're set, they're not going anywhere. It's just perfect. And then sometimes, I think especially when it's size too big or too small, you know, you can see things going a little wonky. It's, like, a little risky. So, like, with a cap-toe shell boot or shoe, you're playing it a little safe, but then it also doesn't really allow those rolls to, you know, extend down past the beginning of the cap. If you did get the sizing right, like, you're kind of selling yourself short a little bit. Yeah, man, it's, like, complicated. And then there's, like, you know, everybody go to the Grant Stone website. Why I put up this story with, like, the pen trick where you go and you get a pen, like, take the cap off. I learned that the hard way one time. You know, don't, don't do one of those <laughs> ones with, like, a sharp metal clip uh, on the cap of the pen, especially. But you basically put it and, like, you put it at a little bit of an angle and you can just go. You do it as soon as you put the shoes on. You place it down fairly hard, and you just flex the shoe. You keep your toe on the ground. You lift up your heel, and you flex the shoe, and you can basically kind of set where those rolls are going to be. Now, is that, like, the right place? If you set them in the wrong place and then it naturally develops around that, are things going to go a little haywire? Maybe. 
Like I've, I've kind of worried about that in the past, but you can kind of tell, especially a shell or a horse butt boot, but really anything like where to crease, where to roll, and at least attempt to set yourself up for success. In the end, they got to fit you or your foot's moving around all weird and it's flexing in the wrong place and it's like, it's not right. But man, when it works, that's like the whole thing, right? Fucking thing of beauty. Yeah, I would say in general, you're going to get a better result on something that fits you well, right? Trying to overthink it and say, well, I'm going to do something weird and different to like affect the roles and try to, you know, influence them. And I'm going to, I did, like, I did pen trick these, uh, these clinches because I was like, well, I know they're going to kind of anything could happen when I, when I get going on these. Like, what am I going to do? And I, you know, kind of just chose where I wanted the, the roles to be and, you know, got a feel for where, where it was natural for them to, to exist. But on other stuff, I've just, you know, kind of gone for it. And for stuff that fits well, it usually ends up looking looking pretty good. Like I've got the um, got the Ravello uh, stitch up boots from uh, from Alden Madison, good. which I did not pen trick because I knew that they fit me really well and probably wasn't going to be a big deal. Got some nice rolls on them, but it's also Capto, so you know there's like less variance for, for for that. In general, I think first and foremost, get something that fits. And it's probably going to end up looking pretty good, especially if you guide it that way with the uh, with the pen trick. You know, just don't over don't overthink it. Would be my advice because I I overthought it a little bit, and I'm like, well, I could have done that a little differently, but I'm still still really happy with uh, how those boots are looking. Thankfully, I think they're beautiful. Mine are also looking perfect without laces in them on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> I like haven't. It's the only time this has ever happened in my life. I haven't brought myself to do it. They're fucking beautiful. They're like right in the middle. Well, I'm like on video calls. It's one day, one day. On that note, with me saying shameful, shameful things as a uh, dedicated bootwear, let's take a break. We'll be right back with more shoe bag. Do you like White's boots? Do you like creating White's made to order boots with rarely available leather? How about a White sample sale? And maybe learning more about boot making in one weekend than you ever have in your entire life? Perhaps walking beautiful fields, possibly in your white's boots, but really any boots, and hiking beautiful woods and consuming beautiful food and drink. Do you like that too? Oh, you do. Well, then I dare say you need to get yourself to Division Road, Virginia this fall. That's right. Jason and the gang have lured White's president Eric Kenny and select members of his team to Division Road's new headquarters on 45 acres of disturbingly scenic farmland in Scottsville, Virginia, for an absolute PNW bonanza this October 1st and 2nd. You'll have the chance to dream up your own MTO boots, including with rarely seen leathers. You can book your spot now on DivisionRoadInc.com. Get the White's crew to give you their rightly famed true measures to ensure you know your exact size in every White's last, and get yourself involved in the White's samples and seconds sale. They're bringing out a serious stock of pairs. We'll also be doing a Stitch Down Shunanza trip on the early side of the weekend, September 30th and October 1st, which in addition to the MTOs and the measures and the sample sale, will also feature a kickoff info session breaking down exactly how White's rightly revered boots are made before they nobly withstand infinite probing questions about how they do it. Friday night, we'll be doing a group dinner with the White's team. There's also one on Saturday you can book on the Division Road site. And the next day, we'll head back to the ranch for more White's and DR action before heading out to tour the winery and distillery-rich countryside, and maybe have a few drinks along the way. Maybe. 
The White's Weekend is just part of Division Road's ripping events calendar. If you can't make that one, definitely consider heading to Virginia for DR's launch party on August 25th, the Ironheart Residency with Alex and Giles on August 26th and 27th, and an event with my personal favorite bulletproof knitwear maker, Dean on the horizon this winter. You can book your White's MTO and grab a ticket for the Saturday White's Dinner on DivisionRoadInc.com and check out Stitchdown.com for more info about the White Shoe Nanza. We'll see you in Virginia. it up all right this is a uh this is a personal question has ticho abandoned the english country gent lifestyle hashtag brain leather uh, uh well, luckily we've got him right here wow wow wearing, wearing wedge soles all wrapped down <laughs> yeah i'm wearing i'm wearing wedge soles and sneakers man if that doesn't answer your question i don't know what does uh, you know what? I for many uh, for many moons, I I thoroughly enjoyed ensconcing myself in in various tweeds, uh, a lot of uh, fine knitwear, and of course good country boots. But yeah, I've uh, you know my style's drifted away from that a little bit. I'm not I'm not dressing up for for an office anymore. So like wearing blazers and like tweed pants is just like not necessary. You know what I mean? Like I can just. I could just wear jeans and a hoodie. I think I've seen you though in like like Fair Isle sweater and like clinch, you know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, so I still I still mess hard with uh like knitwear, especially, you know, made in Scotland, made in Ireland kind of knitwear. I might love sweaters just as much as I love boots. I freaking love sweaters, dude. I They're love the best. sweaters. I didn't used to be a big sweater guy like the last 3 4 years, like I'm so afraid of the summer. Wonderful. No sweaters. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna miss, you know, as I'm getting into loafer season here, it's like, okay, I'm going to be just like loafers jeans, probably like a tee. I might pick up some linen shirts. Camp collars. Well, let's not go crazy, but, Do you it. know, in my heart of hearts, I'm, I'm wearing a full tweed three-piece suit and like a nice pair of British country boots and like, not like an ascot, but like, you know, probably just like no tie and... um also, not, I will. I don't want to wear one of those little tweed hats. There's still a place for that. I'm actually. Uh, I'm thinking about getting a new, uh, a new tweed suit because my my wife and I have figured out that we like going to the opera, and I'm like, shoe cuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm like, look, I saw a dude wearing jeans at the opera at the Met Opera. A dude was wearing jeans. I don't roll like that, dude. Like I'm not, I'm not going down like that. I would like to roll up there in just like a three-piece tweed suit and some some sick British country boots. You know, like uh, I got my Crockett and Joan Conistons or something like that. Like do uh, you know, do a really nice put together British country look, and then you know have that be kind of my like dressy go to weddings kind of outfit. That that blood's still flowing through my veins, but um, you know, for my day to day, I'm kind of just living in jeans and hoodies because. It's just more comfortable. It's just more comfortable and more uh, easier to wear. I mean, I'm as I said, I'm a dad. Like I gotta be, you know, comfy and whatever. I don't know. I feel like my I feel like my kids aren't gonna want to like give me a hug if I'm covered in tweed. <laughs> and I like hugs. I like hugs. Boots, sweaters, hugs. That's the lifestyle around here. Yep. Let's face it though, you are not relenting. On this mullet, <laughs> so like there's there's already some conflict right there. It's a like, British country mullet, dude. 
We don't even have scissors. They're only for the sheep. <laughs> Shears. They're fucking huge. My dream is to uh, fly to London, rent a uh, like a Mini Cooper, and then like drive all the way up to Scotland. Like stop in Northampton, stop in Cumbria, see my boy uh, Crafty Cumbrian, my boy Russell. Oh, Go yeah. for a walk with him next to uh, by the sea. You know, probably do it in like a bunch of a uh, bunch of tweed. So one one day, one day I'll I'll make that journey. SD Palooza twenty three. We do an SDP road trip from London to Edinburgh or something. I don't know. Yeah, like every day another person can't fit in the car because of how many empty cans of seltzer are filling it up <laughs> with garbage. Nobody would steal the car though. Nobody would steal the car. All right, this is a, a deep one, a complex one okay. here. It's not about metaphysics again, is it? It's just meta. Little physics here. Actually, you know what? Yeah, this is kind of like a metaphysical question. Oh, it's definitely philosophical. Okay. But it's also tied to things like value. So let's go. Where does money into a boot surpass the quality and enter the land of exclusivity and artist? <sighs> Where's that threshold? When does money not become about quality, about materials, construction, and more about connection and nobody else has got it? I get it. I don't know that there's like a specific dollar amount. To me, it's more about your outlook on it, right? There's like a certain group of people who are going to just see something like a pair of flame pandas and say, you know, that's art. I see it. I see the vision from this guy. I see the execution. I see the story that he's telling me with these I'm experiencing it, and it is art, and it is no longer tethered to the concept of, you know, value, right? It, it kind of transcends that. Where is that line for kind of depends on, on you, right? Depends on what your outlook on it is. And there's a lot of people who I think are just never going to really see that for, for footwear. For me, it, it, a lot of it comes from the intent of the person making them and designing them. I think it it ultimately comes down to kind of how they see it as well, right? Like there are people who are making boots because they are passionate about it, they love it, and they want you to have a, a special pair that you, you enjoy and wear, but to them, they're still boots, right? And then there's people who think about our, our, our buddy Gabard from Creosote, where it does kind of transcend that because he's thinking about it a little bit differently. He's thinking about storytelling. He's thinking about how this boot kind of fits historically and Having it handmade by a guy in an Airstream trailer in the woods, that alone kind of transcends it too, right? That you just had one of the most fascinating conversations of your life with. And then at the end of the two hours, you're like, oh, you're right. Yeah. Should we talk about these boots in one order? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I love that. There's something incredible about that to me. It's like, well, it just became actually not 100% about the boots and the price and the work that goes into it. It's real connection. Like with Gabard, it's like a supercharged version of what you get when, you know, you're on DM with the Indonesian guys and like build a relationship yeah. there just because <laughs> the boots are not like secondary, but there's something else that is also primary. And it's just like learning about each other yeah. and thinking about the world in different ways. Like, and and yet at the end of it, you're just buying a pair of boots. Like, no. So not. it's so much more than that. Yeah. The experience kind of becomes more than. I think at the low end of it, right, is like you go to Foot Locker or DSW and like buy a pair of shoes. And then on the upper end of it, you're having a conversation for a couple hours with a really interesting guy about 
a ton of different stuff that isn't necessarily just the boots and you're forming this connection with them and you know you could see that with with Lars from Osmo Boots and Peng from Flame Panda and like uh, I had a good one with uh, with Nathan Florsheim from uh, NF Bootmaker on, on a pair and you're Nasty like Nate. I think the the point for me comes when you kind of transcend this relationship of customer versus brand and it becomes more of a personal connection and it becomes more it, it kind of just becomes something more that's pretty special to me i'm kind of like i really seek that out pretty hard at this point because it just hits so much better when i try to explain that to people who are like you know not people who listen to this podcast like you know just normie street people that i run into who are like why are you talking what to do them? you yeah i don't you know they're just very confused about everything i'm talking about but I'm like, no, like I'm, I've been to Norway and I've met this guy and like done all this stuff. And like, I talked to these people on the phone about all this different stuff. And they're like, but you're just buying shoes from them. But you're not. Not just that, you know, it's way more than that. And that's what's special about it. And that's what I love about this whole thing. First thought, what if like Gabard and Lars and Peng, they all started wearing those like referee jerseys that everybody wears at Foot Locker? (laughs) Would this change? Would your feelings change? Dude, if I walked into a Foot Locker and Peng, Gabbard, and Lars were manning the sales floor... You'd be buying a fuckload of sneakers. Yeah, I'd be walking out with like a pair of uh, Sauconies or something <laughs> from those guys. Nobody likes the refs, though. I've always found it weird. Like, who likes the ref? The ref just ruins everything. Except for like, you know, Hockley and like prime Johnny Greer. That was about it. Uh, <laughs> the prices of these boots are, are not cheap, even on the scale of... The person that you talk to on the street who doesn't understand any of this, who thinks that, you know, a $250 pair of boots is absurd. We're not going to discount that and, like, pretend like everybody has this money. And, like, that's the only way to be happy because that's not the case. But, you know, kind of moving from that, we have to at least consider bespoke, right? Which is different levels of personal relationship. But, like, you know, the, the hour and a half that we talked to Adele from Trickers on this podcast, their master bespoke shoemaker, like we completely fell in love with her. And, you know, now she's out there kind of being her wonderful self to the world for Trickers. And it's one of the smartest decisions that they've made. Like, why not do it? Because, like, you immediately feel this connection to that person. And every bespoke maker isn't exactly like that, of course. But you have to go see them. You know, they're... <laughs> They're they're playing with your feet like there there's very personal stuff going on there and you know you're, you're like booking trips and you're like you're basing your life around getting these shoes like at least you know a couple times in a couple of years and and there's something special about that but then I think of a brand like Corte right which is very very left field for the stuff that we normally care about but like you're into Corte. I have extreme appreciation for it. I actually, like, turned down a pair of Cortez one time because I don't think they're for me. Like, I can sit there. I can marvel at them. I can be like, there are not shoes that look like this. Like, you can't even hope to knock these things off. Like, you will blow it. They will be disgusting. There is this incredible razor's edge that Pierre Corte rides that pretty much only he can do for those kind of specific styles that he makes. They weren't for me, and I didn't want to take them and, like, try them and, you know, resell them for $1,200 or whatever. That's bad shoe karma, so let's not do that. But, like, that's where it comes into less of a personal relationship like that. You know, materials-wise, they use very good stuff, but nothing that's completely crazy. But they're like very expensive shoes basically because you can't touch those designs and you can't get to that any other way. And I think that that's 
completely valid. Like Corte is art. Like a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, you know, I consider art, you know, from the construction on up, right? Patterning, yes, but like how they're put together and, you know, how how Clinch designs these boots to roll wonderfully. Like it's a unique, different kind of art. But Corte is like, put this shit in a fucking museum and everybody would be like, whoa. I think there's a place for that too. And like a completely valid justification for nobody else can do this. And man, you could sit and stare at these things and these like incredible colors, but also the last and the patterns and just like the interplay between all of them. And even as somebody who like doesn't really love dress shoes, especially like kind of multi-shaded blue pointy ones, that's not what I want on my feet. But man, I was in, they, they had a Corte trunk show at Lafoe maybe three years ago. And I like wrote a whole story on it because I was just in awe. Yeah, completely agree on that, man. To clinch what you mentioned, what I like about it is that, you know, they show up and, you know, they, they do look like art. They do, you know, out of the box, they're beautiful, but that's not even really what the intention is. You know, the intention is for you to then wear it and kind of collaborate in that art and kind of make it something even more, put your personal touch on it. That's what I think is is, is pretty fun about a lot of these boots is like, so you work with these uh, these folks and you come up with a plan for, you know, what the boot is going to look like. Like, you know, Gabbard and I were working on um, these parlor scars and I'm like, you know, I've got this, um, picked up a leather jacket, okay? Uh, yeah, which is like a big stretch for, you know, my very... Tweed boy. <laughs> my very tweed kind of like you know, suburban dad vibe, but I figured I'd give it a go and I actually really dig it. And so it's this Y2 leather uh, deep pocket in this vintage horse hide that's Japanese horse hide. It's brown over dye and then black over the top of it. And I told, you know, Gabbard, I'm like, look, let's kind of take inspiration from this jacket, right? That's what we'll do for these boots is we'll take the cowhide you're doing for doing this with and, you know, we'll figure out how to make a an, an over dye that's kind of similar to this jacket, you know, obviously knowing it's not going to be one-to-one, one's horse hide, one's cowhide, one's a boot, one's a jacket. I also have like 30 months of a head start I can put on the jacket, which is probably going to be pretty necessary. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> we kind of collaborated on that idea. And when the boots show up, I can take pictures with the jacket and kind of like track how they're going together and how they're aging, you know, comparatively. And, you know, it should be, it should be interesting. And I hope that the end result is going to be something greater than either of us could have really designed or, or, or thought through at this point in time. That's what's interesting about a lot of this stuff to me is, you know, that you get to kind of collaborate and be a part of the process of creating this art because you're the one who gets to wear them and care for them and kind of decide what, what happens to it after, after the maker has done his part of it. That was art. That statement was art. <laughs> Can't put a price on Ticho. Whoo! All right. Kind of counter to all this or maybe related. What boot? Do you regret not buying? Mmm. That's a tough one. Sorry, I'm eating a uh, shout out to one of my favorite new snacks, Skippy PB Bites. Okay. Dude, check this out. It is. What are these? Here's the description of, of this peanut butter flavored center with peanut butter coating. <laughs> it's peanut butter covered peanut butter. Wait, what's the coating? How's it work? You know, one's kind of like a more coating peanut butter, and then one's like the, you know, peanut butter in the it middle. It's like a harder shell, basically. And then standard Skippy on the inside? Yeah, it's almost like a Whopper or like a Whoa. Butterfinger BB, but with only just two things of peanut butter. Oh, dude, Butterfinger BBs. I used to be so into I those. Love, I love Butterfinger BBs. I completely BBs, forgot yeah. those existed. Yeah, I haven't seen those in years. Perfect ratio. They were perfect. 
Boot that I regret not buying. Um, man, it's pretty tough because I have bought a lot of boots anyway. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard. It's hard to really regret too much. But there's probably a number of boots that at the time I didn't regret buying them, and now looking back, wish I had been like collecting. That's the question. That's the whole question. Yeah. Okay. Thank that you is for explaining the, that the is question. The same same question. Okay. So looking back at it now, I wish that in 2012 2013 i just started buying like tons of vibergs old 2030 older patterns 10 eyelet stuff like i wish i was just going crazy on all that stuff back in the day because now as i'm like kind of circling around like that's really where my style's at and that's really the stuff i'm looking at like man i wish i had this stuff so i'd say that probably like 2013 through 2017 era vibergs not to like double team the Viberg fanboying here, but you know, Viberg it changes so much and so frequently and like it's just gone and so you're kind of thinking about this stuff in a way that other brands like simply don't do it. So yeah, I'm gonna say like God, the list is long. Man, when I was researching the history of the Viberg service boot story, which is like you know, known known to be like not my personal favorite Viberg, dude. I spent <laughs> seriously like two days completely sidetracked just finding old pictures of 145s from Japan, <laughs> and they were incredible. Every one of them. I want every single one of them. They probably didn't even make them in my size, but those. So like those have always been on the list. I like can't even necessarily give you a specific one. Like I, I would, if I could get my hands on them, I would take every single one of them and I have like like a, a small but hopefully growing vintage 145 collection going. I've recently come into possession of like a new one of one, hopefully one of many more pair of Vibergs in the 110 last. And I've never had 110 before and I'm completely obsessed. It's like it's it's pretty predictable, right? It's like <laughs> big and wide and these are unstructured but they're still like just toe chonk going on which i imagine will lessen a little bit over time but never fully go away it's really comfortable it's one of those lasts where 110 to me talked about this with chinese broccoli quite a bit there's really only one right size and it's half down from brannock let's call it heel the ball you go smaller than that because you're like oh it's so big it's too short and you go bigger than that and it's way too big and man, I put them on and immediately they're crazy comfortable. Like just a little bit of heel rub. I've been wearing them for like three days straight, planning to wear them uh, in the city like nonstop. I'm like bringing a backup pair just in case. Tomorrow, oh, it's just so like you got to like really crank those laces down and like wear very, very thick socks and then you're in. And it just, it feels wonderful. I love the way it looks. It's just so like big and strange and to me beautiful. And then, yeah, specifically, there were some that came out in, like, the last two or three years. Like, the two-tone shell scouts on a wedge on 110, like, black and natural, maybe, that I got to figure out. If any, just hit me up if you have those in a 10 and a half. <laughs> I'll buy them from you. Uh, if they're in, like, reasonable condition. They came out with, like, the 145, 110, and garnet shell, I think, at the same time. Or maybe that was a different release. And there was maybe a scout and garnet shell, too. Like everything was on a wedge, those I guess those those three, I, I would be all over. I made huge mistakes. I didn't know how one ten fit. Shell's expensive. Two tone shell on a wedge. Like what are we doing here? That's what I wish I was doing right now. So 
There you go. Yeah, I mean, to kind of extend the artist thing we were talking about on the last question, you know, it's almost like, you know, a band that you, you get into their their stuff, like, later on, and then you're, like, going back through. Like, I've been re-listening to a lot of, like, Radiohead stuff from, like, the 90s. And I'm like, man, yeah, I was, like, a little kid. Like, I didn't know any I wish I was at those shows. happening. You know, I couldn't go to these shows. I was, like, six years old. And now I'm listening to it, and I'm like, yeah, like, this is, like, really speaking to me. And, like, that's kind of how I feel about that era of Viberg, where I was just stuck in an office, being all sad in my very nice dress shoes and tweed pants and jackets and such. But what's really speaking to me is, like, that era of their output. And you do kind of look at it the same way as, like, an artist that you gravitate towards the stuff that just really hits home and gives you that kind of, like, deep emotional reaction of, like, yes, like, that's what I want. So yeah, Viberg, uh, 2013 through 2017, Viberg is my is my Radiohead. Never going to see it again, which is also what makes the brand so great and interesting. <laughs> like the, the retroactive lust that it creates. <laughs> Unfortunately, like, you know, I can just listen to freaking Radiohead albums. You, you got to like really work to like track down these boots. It's like a whole other challenge. All right. Couple more. I love this one. What's the best use of welted footwear I don't wear and is not valuable enough to resell? Okay. When I saw this one, it's like, yeah, man, like this whole promise, these things last forever. They're not piling up in landfills, but you know, you can't even get like 50 bucks for this pair. Do you toss it? Is is it beat to hell? Is it fresh, but nobody really cares about it? There's not a market for it. What do you do? Because I think we all have this, right? Like somewhere in our houses, like these either are there or they got tossed or something else happened to them. What do we do here? Thank you, Esteban Graham. This is a fantastic and meaningful question. I think what some people are doing, and we see this in, in the Stitch Town Discord, just give them away. Find somebody who wants it and give it to them. Somebody always takes them in there. Yeah, I mean, like the giveaways thing, which like, you know, sprung from brand giveaways. And then, you know, like people would win those and they'd kind of like pay it forward or pay it backward i guess and then the whole dublin premium thing went down where he was just dishing out the craziest <laughs> stuff you've ever seen and then everybody was like all right what what do i got who wants it and what we've learned is like somebody always wants them as you kind of uh, progress up through the different stages of uh, being into this stuff right you kind of pass some stuff by and i still have you know i'm looking at a bunch of like real nice dress shoes that are still sitting right here you know, from the era where I worked in an office and needed to wear, you know, Enzo Bonifaz and Crockett and Jones all the time. And then, you know, under my desk, I've got a bunch of boots from Taft from when I worked at Taft and just kind of ended up with a lot of boots. And you're like, well, you know, what's what's like the good thing to do with these things? And I could sell them, but like, what am I going to do with that money? Just buy more boots? Uh, I should really just probably donate these to there must be a charity or something like that locally that i can just give these things to so one of my favorite things in the discord is that like you end up hearing these stories where somebody gets a giveaway boot and they're like you know what i realized it wasn't for me but i just want everybody to know like i have this friend or this cousin or like my brother or whatever who is interested in this stuff or like needed some work boots or like boots to do work in you know, couldn't afford them. Somebody who's like just financially not in a position to get their hands on these things. And like, you know, is it okay? I think somebody actually asked when they won a giveaway, they were like, yes, this one's actually not for me and explained. And it was a story very much like that. I'm like, absolutely. Go ahead and do that. I think that this is 
actually one of the coolest things. Like if you have no boots, you're probably not in the Discord. So you need somebody else to be that conduit. I fully support it. It, it can change you. It can change your life. It can change how you like feel about yourself. It can change like how healthy your feet and your body are. It gives people this window to things like craftsmanship, dyeing arts. And in that way, it's more than just about the boots, right? It's about that whole world and that like people can make things and it's wonderful when they do and uh, supporting them is crucial. And like you really can't learn that just from hearing about it. Like you have to experience it yourself. And like if that's the way that it happens first, I think it's great. And then like I actually chatted with Esteban after he asked this question. He's like, what do you think about the idea of creating some sort of donation system? Because he listened to the cobblers episode and how like training up cobblers is is tough because you send in your expensive shoes and you don't want the, the rookie working on them, right? Like you want the expert, the master, and that's what you're paying for. You know, what if there was some sort of donation system in that way where you could just grab a bunch and you'd be like, all right, work on these, like practice, okay? Don't worry about it. Tear them apart. Make mistakes. It doesn't matter. And it can kind of accelerate cobbler's learning. I fucking love it, man. That's great. Like, I, I think that's really cool. Like, how to, how to set up that flywheel? Hit us up. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I'd love a whole bunch of, like, old destroyed boots so I can train my apprentice, we'll figure out how to get them to you. I don't know. Some Some sort of system like that to me is, like, really cool and really interesting. And this is one of my favorite questions that's that's ever been asked on the show, which is, you know, we'll, <laughs> you'll hear the next question, uh, which is also important, but this is a keeper. Thank you, Esteban Grams. Yeah, that, that's cool, man. Yeah, if anybody is uh, trying to train up to be a cobbler and needs something to practice on, hit me up. I got a bunch of random stuff. All right, let's do this last one. Again, another deeply, deeply important question here. What does Wegmans have to do with shoes, boots, and leather? I'd say everything. Can't think of anything that it doesn't have to do with that. I walk into Wegmans in uh, fine pairs of shoes all the time. Right now, I'm sipping a mandarin orange Wegmans seltzer while I record this podcast, which obviously is critical for fueling my talking. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. We talk about Wegmans all the time on this, don't we? Do we? Yeah. I love Wegmans. One of our uh, listeners uh, works at Wegmans and is... uh, are you doxing? Sorry, shit. Okay, one of our—I would cut it out. Uh, one of our listeners uh, works for Wegman's Corporate, and um, whenever, whenever I go there, I just like text him pictures of my cart, and I'm like certain <laughs> that he doesn't care. I'm certain, but I do it anyway because I just—I'm so excited to be like buying, you know, 120 seltzers and a lemon cake for my son to eat for breakfast and. Oh, dude, this have you had the uh, the coconut oil popcorn? No, we make our own popcorn around here. Oh, my. dude, this popcorn's like unreal. It's so it's so tasty and has like coconut oil on it. It's great. Here's what you do: make some popcorn. Just get an air popper. Mm-hmm. The popcorn it puts out terrible because there's nothing terrible, on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I grew up eating that popcorn. You can use as much butter as you want, but like mm-hmm. you know, half a stick, maybe even like a third a stick of butter for like a whole giant bowl of popcorn. Mm-hmm. bunch of olive oil it doesn't have to be like the really good stuff but it shouldn't be like the very bad stuff sure tons of nutritional yeast which is delicious and as far as i know completely nutritional 
Mm-hmm. And it's like just these little flakes that then adhere to the butter and olive oil. And you got to get like a big wooden spoon and just like stir it and stir it and stir it. I mean, you can use your hands, but it, it gets pretty sloppy. Salt, obviously. What kind of salt? What kind of salt? Just like table salt. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can you can try whatever salt you want. I'm sure they all work. Himalayan pink salt. Do not subscribe to the Himalayan pink salt. But you want you want tiny little granules of salt because, again, you want everything sticking to not the popcorn, but the butter and olive oil that is on the popcorn as an adherent. Uh-huh. And then my wife's secret ingredient, rosemary. Oh. And just like some very, very, you know, kind of fine grain, like out of the shaker rosemary. And, dude, it's perfect. And it sits like. Oh, that sounds really good. Like day two is really good. Day three's still kind of good and i'm always digging around for these ones that are like completely coated in this stuff and just like <laughs> popping them one by one that's how we do popcorn around here next time i'm up there man i'm gonna make you make me some of that popcorn that sounds pretty uh pretty good but i'm showing up with uh i'm showing up with a bunch of wegman's uh popcorn myself and we're gonna have a pop toe to on that pop it off uh yeah wegman's is crucial we wouldn't be you know possibly alive or at least like you know kind of active and like jaunty if if we weren't eating Wegman's products every single day. Yeah, I would not have made it through this winter if it was not for those um those Butterboy shortbread cookies. Butterboy, dude, you came around. Three of those a day just to get enough calories in my body to keep me warm, dude. It was uh it was critical. Butterboy, one of the best boys. I am a Butterboy. There's nothing else to say about it. There are some cynics who are like, "What are you guys gunning for a Wegman sponsorship?" And the answer is, "Fuck yes, we are." Absolutely. That's not why we're doing it. It's not why we're doing it, but if there is not a better boot podcast on which to promote a supermarket than this one, I think that that's very clear. They're opening one in the city, too. I know, in the old Kmart in Astor Place. You get off the subway and you're going to walk right into the Wegmans. It's one of the coolest subway stops, except there was a Kmart there before. Now it's a Wegmans? It's going to be insane. Well, I don't even know if it's open yet. I'll actually, I'll be down there tomorrow. I don't think it's open yet. Going to swing by. Yeah. Do we go to the opera in this tweed suit in the Conistons? Are we going to Wegmans and hopping off the six train? I'm doing both, bro. I'm doing both of those things because I I smuggle snacks in wherever I go. Nothing better than eating some Butterboy shortbreads Tweed uh, pockets during an aria. full of like <laughs> peanut butter ensconced peanut butter balls. Dude, these things are these things are insane. I've eaten conservatively 1,500 calories worth of uh, PB bites during this podcast recording. It's protein. You need it. Five grams of protein per serving, according to the box. Uh, all right. Anyway, yeah, Wegman's hit us up. We love you. Got great questions this time, man. Shout out to the, the listeners for sending in these really solid questions here. Yeah, not gonna lie. First couple, we we just made them up and said they were from listeners, but these are like all <laughs> legit. These are one hundred percent legit. <laughs> we love it all. Huge thanks to Division Road for sponsoring this episode. Definitely figure out a way to get yourself to Virginia for one of their upcoming events. We'd love to see you when we're there in late September, early October. But if you can't make that, absolutely check out their events calendar and very good boots on divisionroadinc.com. Don't forget about that Stitchdown Discord and Stitchdown Premium. Joining the community is the best way to support this podcast. And everything else Stitchdown does, and believe me, if you like this show, you will not hate the Discord. I promise. All right, Ticho. This is great. Good talking with you, man. Have uh, have a good rest of your day. Gonna try. That's it for this week. Take care of your shoes. We'll see you next time.